But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. For he has risen. He is risen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we have an incredible opportunity to celebrate our risen Savior this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we are amazed at your greatness, perplexed by your glory. Father, we come into your house this morning on your day that you've set apart for us. And we, Lord, confess and admit and we ask, we don't need a little bit of you. We need all of you. We need lots of you. We rejoice that we are your own children adopted into your family and declared righteous through the work of of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work that was accomplished, not just on the cross, but what we celebrate this morning, the work that was accomplished in the empty tomb, that you are alive and well. And because of that, you call us to live well. Father, I do pray for many that are in the midst of struggle right now. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to them and draw close to them. May they be reminded of your presence and your power this morning. I ask for help. I pray, Lord, that everything that is said and done would be for your glory and for your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful and matchless name of the risen Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen. Good morning. I want to welcome every single one of you, especially those that are gathering online. We welcome you to celebrate the Easter story. It's the Old Testament prophet that says that the Lord loves to make beauty from ashes. One of the most beautiful things about the Easter story is that it begins in a sense, with ashes, with ugliness all around. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, remember, he had been beaten and bloodied. He had been pierced, nailed to a cross. We know that the Easter story, in a sense, begins where they, they literally pried the lifeless body off of that wooden cross. They put it in a rock-hewn tomb. And what happens? There's this, there's this 
tremendously dark time. And yet with a spoken word, with a command, a lifeless, breathless, cold corpse, with an instant, the heart, the heart begins to beat and blood flows and lungs fill with air and eyes open and a hand begins to move and one walks out alive, alive. The resurrection story is a crucial and a critical foundation of our faith. Yet what's interesting is this, as one author and pastor in the UK, his name is Sam Albury, sums it up very well when he writes this, and I quote, Many Christians, while believing in the resurrection and rehearsing that belief every Easter Sunday, effectively stick it back in the drawer for the rest of the year because they are at a loss to know what to do with it. Think about this for a moment. When we begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and we explain how one must be saved, there's no doubt we talk, what, almost exclusively about the cross, which is what we know vitally important, but the resurrection is oftentimes an afterthought. Or people leave it out altogether. Most books on theology show this to be the exact case. Charles Hodge, the Princeton theologian who authored a classic three-volume set on systematic theology, spends 127 pages on the cross and only four pages on the resurrection. Think about this. Not only do we need to know about the resurrection, but this morning my prayer is this. Like the Apostle Paul says, we need to know, you need to know, the power of the resurrection that we will read in a moment in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. To know the power, personally and experientially. And I really think that we as a church, the local church of Jesus Christ, can do a better job of teaching people and guiding people to what? To take it out of the drawer. That's what we have to do this morning. That is my goal, my single goal this morning, that God would be glorified through you and I gaining a greater understanding of the power of the resurrection. The power that exists here. We don't toy with this part of the story. Paul uses that exact phrase in a text where he's actually sharing Bits and pieces of his own personal testimony or his own story. Every single one of us, we all have a story. And Paul does something that we all do with our own stories. We start with what? We start with the hits and the highlights of our life. We start with the celebrations and the successes. We usually don't start with, yeah, I flunked third grade handwriting as part of our story. No, 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 no. I was eighth grade athlete of the year. That's what makes it into our story. That's what Paul's talking about. At the end of his story, all the hits, all the successes, he says this, and I quote, Philippians chapter 3. We pick up our narrative in our text this morning from verse 7. 
But whatever gain I had, whatever success, whatever win I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says what? I had plenty. Paul says I had lots. I had, I had it all. I had confidence in who I was. I had the right upbringing. I had the right education. I was living right. I was blameless. I was Zealous, and then he writes this summary, but whatever I had, whatever gain, I counted it as loss. That word zemia, it's the polite word to say I, I count it as dung. You know what dung is? I count it as rubbish. I count it as nothing. Immediate question is like, what happened here? Why? Like, why? As Paul is giving his testimony, he's sharing his story, and he measures his gains, he measures it alongside of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that he sees is what? His unrighteousness. When he measures what? His wins, his gains, his pluses against that of the Lord Jesus Christ against the worthiness of the King of kings and Lord of lords, all he sees is his unworthiness. But what's interesting here is this. He doesn't wallow in it. He doesn't do what you and I do. He doesn't see how despicable we are. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go to the garden. I'm going to eat worms. Big, fat, juicy ones. He doesn't say that. He doesn't go that. Instead, he goes to the exact same place that you and I need to go. For his sake, for his sake, I count all things as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in Christ, that I may have faith in Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Why? Why is he so fascinated? I want more. Because as we just read a moment ago, when that angel proclaimed, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. When the angel proclaimed that, everything changes. Everything changes. He is living. He walks, he talks, and he changes lives. You know what he does? He changes your life from what used to be. He changes my life from what I used to be. Everything has changed. What's interesting is that today in our world, no, but it makes no logical sense to ever put your faith in one named Jesus. He was poor. He didn't have his own home. 
He wasn't educated at the finest of schools. He wasn't even recognized formally. He was misunderstood. He was rejected, betrayed, falsely accused, falsely convicted, brutally beaten and tortured and crucified like a common criminal. When he was buried, he didn't even have a place called his own. He borrowed a tomb. There's nothing in this one that would ever cause us to say, let's follow him. The story of success. Thus, the importance of knowing. But Paul just say, we, we cannot have a righteousness of our own. We cannot have a righteousness of our own. But that which comes through faith in Christ. Now, what's Paul's desire? My my desire is to know, to know him. The word is gnosko. 225 times throughout the page of the New Testament, this one word that I may know, it means to what? Seek to understand him and seek to understand the power of his resurrection. Seeking. I'm longing to know him more, to be closer, to understand him, to understand the power. It's not live in a sense of defeat. Let me tell you this, the greatest way to know Christ is to have faith in the resurrection of Christ. The greatest way to know Christ is to have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is no surprise that there would be great debate surrounded around the reality of this truth. For more than two millennia. People have sought to debunk the story as what? Theory after theory. There's the swoon theory. He wasn't really dead. He was just swooning. There's the stolen body theory. There's the every single of the 500 eyewitnesses are all crazy theory. Every one of them. Yet what? When one examines closely the evidence... Something significant happened that no one, no one can deny. Knowing this would be tremendously difficult for one to have faith in. One is dead, and yet they're brought to life. The Word of God makes it expressly. The Word of God makes it explicitly clear. Listen very carefully, not only the details and the specifics but the broad, sweeping, intentional visibility of the risen Christ. One Peter Williams summarizes well in his book, Can We Trust the Gospels? Listen to this. We don't think about this when it comes to the risen Savior and the eyewitness accounts. The resurrected Jesus is recorded in the Gospels. says that he appears in Judea and he also appears in Galilee. It says that he appears in a town and in the countryside. It says that he appears indoors and outdoors. It says that he appears in the morning and in the evening. It says that he appears by prior appointment and without prior appointment. It says that he appears to some that are up close. It says that he appears to others at a distance. It says that he appears to some on a hill and others by a lake. It says that he appears to groups of men. It says that he appears to groups of women. It says he appears to individuals and to groups up to the size of five Hundred. It says that he appears standing and walking. It says that he appears eating and, and that he appears always 
talking. Many are explicitly close-up encounters involving conversations. It's hard to imagine this pattern of appearances recorded in the Gospels and early Christian letters without there having been multiple individuals who claim to have seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now, why is this so important? Why does this matter? What does this have to do with you and me today? Easter 2020. What does the truth and the power of the resurrection actually mean? Why does it matter? Why do we even care about this? Because at this very minute, right now, we live in a world that people are on proverbial pins and needles more than ever before in our lifetime. We live in a world where people are surrounded by more worries and frustrations and anxieties and fears than ever before. In the midst of a global pandemic, and social crises, economic uncertainty. It's a time that we could very simply describe what people today are more devoid of hope than ever before. What do we do? Where do we go? Where do we look? This is the first time in our life that we have experienced something like this, but you can be assured this is not the first time. Paul's not the only one who directs people's attention to what the power that exists in the risen Savior. I'm reminded of another apostle whose name is Peter, if you remember what, who went from fearful to faithful, and this was the hinge moment. Peter himself writes to all Christians, and it says what? That they have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. Kind of sounds descriptive. Peter's writing to Christians, you and me, people who have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. It says that he describes it as them being in the midst of a fiery ordeal. And what does Peter say? Where is it that Peter goes? He writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you hear that? A living hope. He continues on, so your faith and your hope are in God, did you catch that part right there? This is not an intellectual hope. This is a living hope. What is our goal this morning? I stated to you earlier, the first thing is that God would be glorified by you and I have a greater understanding of the power that exists in the resurrection of Jesus. Lift up your eyes and see not only the bloodied cross, that Jesus died upon to atone for our sins, but see the empty tomb and know practically how it impacts and affects your life with a powerful and a glorious hope. A hope that not only allows you to face the uncertainty, to, to live differently, freely from the harness past. Very quickly, I want you to see that first of all, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, allows you to live in freedom from the fear of guilt and shame. 
of how the enemy loves to harness us with our past mistakes and our past sins. We see the power of the resurrection in the way that we can live in complete freedom from anything and everything by way of the guilt and shame of the past. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Yes, glance at the cross, no doubt about it, and see that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. But every time we glance at the empty tomb, we know that there is still more that even the cross could not give. We've been studying the book of Romans recently. We read in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin, the penalty for breaking the law of God is death. And Jesus took that penalty and we know that because what? The doors of death have been opened and he walked out. Think of this. If Jesus only died for our sins, we would still be stuck in them. We would have our faith that is described as what? Metios, futile. Our faith would be worthless. It has no value, useless, fruitless. A faith that is empty, but that's not the case not the case an empty faith is sad stay in your beds an empty faith is pathetic Paul even says what if, if we were that type of people that had an empty faith we of all people were to be pitied most pitied we'd be misled we'd be foolish fools but thankfully that's not the case he is Risen. Therefore, every single sin is forgiven. Every bit of your shame, of your past, the feeling of worthlessness, of that guilt is gone because of the power that exists in the resurrection, Jesus. We also see that we can be free from the fear of death. Hebrews says this in chapter 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death who are subject to lifelong slavery. No subject has has captured the attention of mankind more than this pandemic, where we have all seen up close the curse of death. So many people have died in our nation alone, more than half a million, that actually the life expectancy rate has dropped in less than one year. You, you realize that we have witnessed before us the curse of death. And we know that there are people without any hope of eternal life who live every day paralyzed, paralyzed in fear. In fear of death, in fear of dying, in fear of sickness, in fear of the unknown. And yet alongside of that, we have also witnessed those who know Christ. 
those who have the hope of eternal life through the power of the risen Christ. And we've, we've heard of their testimonies as they leave life here on this earth and they leave in the midst of peace and calm. Yes, no doubt. There have been and always will be tears of missing a loved one. But as I personally read these words just recently, gathered around the bed of a person who was being called home to the Lord, being surrounded by his family, I read these words, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Oh, how there is such great power in that truth. There is such great power in that truth. We also know that we can be free from being under what? Destructive powers. And authorities, Colossians says this in chapter 2, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What I found is interesting is that you and I today can no longer talk to the 500 witnesses who saw the risen Savior. We, we cannot go to the Holy Land and see the giant stone that has been moved. We cannot see what? The shining angels. We can't look into what? This cavernous, empty. We can't see that. We can't see the what grave clothes that were like hollow as the body has, has moved on. We can't see any of those things. But you know what we can see? And where I direct people all the time when we talk about the power of the resurrection, I want you to meet this man. I want you to meet this woman. We can see the power of a changed life. A life that simply cannot be explained. We can see people. And you and I know people who are captured by hate and anger and bitterness and fear. And, and we can what? We can see those people and we can talk with them and we can know that what? They are at complete peace in their life. How do you explain that? We can talk to people who were addicted who are constantly controlled by a substance, substance, who are plagued daily by the torments of sin. And we can dialogue with them and we can hear the testimony of how they wake up every day and live in splendid hope for the first time in their life. How do you explain that apart from the power of the resurrection? We can sit and have coffee with people who one time, what? Who were, who were chasing the successes of this world. Who were longing for more, more, and more, and more. 
And we can sit with them and we can listen to the testimony of how they live in absolute settled contentment with who they are and where they are in life. Why? Because the power of the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know if there's a more needed or important testimony of the power than lives like that. Today, this morning, every single life Every single person's eternal destination, either heaven or hell, is dependent upon what you're going to do with the fact of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You realize that? What are you going to do? Live half of a life? Fearful? Angry? Discontent? Controlled? Are you going to acknowledge? Are you going to hear the words of the angel? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Know that today, this morning, you can live in absolute new life. When you put your faith and your trust in the risen Savior. And you live a new life because you too have been raised with him. Let me close with these words from Romans chapter 6. We were buried. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, you too, can walk in the newness of life. May God be glorified through a greater understanding of the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Father, we are amazed at your grace and your goodness. We are thrilled with the glory of your presence. And today, Amidst the world screaming a thousand distractions to take our eyes off of the cross and off of the tomb, may we fix our eyes on the risen Savior. May we be freed from guilt and shame of sin in the past. May we, may we be freed from living harnessed lives, controlled. May we be freed to live and walk and talk in the newness of life, all because of Jesus. Lord, help us do that and do that well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.